regularly have uh, incredibly experienced recruitment business leaders who have built something significant or special and whose experience is gold dust for anybody building and scaling as a recruitment business leader. Philip Hanna evolved from being a successful consultant through to ultimately leading a 400 person recruitment business as CEO of the Venn Group. He shares what he's learned about leadership, about scaling, his expertise in public sector recruitment, and he shares some of the mistakes he's made, but also the principles that have underpinned his achievements as a leader and in business. Fascinating insights, enjoy. A very warm welcome to the TRM podcast to Philip Hanna. Thank you for joining us, Philip. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. So we're going to extract out of your extract out of your career as a recruitment business leader some of the gems and some of the experiences and, and some of the things that you've learned over the years. Um, but for those people who aren't uh, aware of you or familiar with you, are you happy to sort of talk us through what got, what got you to uh, where we are today? Yeah, I'm sure it was a bit of a, a convoluted journey. So I was brought up in Ireland and uh, went to school in Dublin, University in Dublin, um, did engineering, quickly realised doing engineering, I didn't want to be an engineer. <laughs> uh, my father, he was a he was an entrepreneur, he had a um, pharmaceutical business, a generic pharmaceutical. And so I joined him for a couple of years uh, within the HR department, didn't really know what he was doing, but he trained me up or helped train me up. Um, but I also realized, as well as not wanting to be an engineer, I didn't want to live in Ireland for the rest of my life. I wanted to travel the world a bit. Uh, so I ended up in the UK initially with the thought of spend five years there maximum and then move on to somewhere else, whether that be Australia or America. Uh, and 35 years later, I'm still in, stuck in the UK. So, <laughs> uh, and, and I have no problem with that. I've loved it. It's been great and uh, really enjoyed it. Um, how did I end up in recruitment? When I got to the UK, didn't really know what I was looking for, saw an advert for a, sort of what looked like an HR role with some commission. I like the idea of a commission-based job rather than just a straight salary, probably from my father's entrepreneurial background. Uh, so took the job and soon realized that it was not HR. Recruitment is not HR. It very much is not. Uh, but that was the bit I loved, actually. I love the whole selling of it. I've always enjoyed selling and I've always enjoyed that excitement of you know getting a deal and, and getting the commission from that deal. I was at a few companies, long story short, I eventually ended up at uh, a proper company, Baden-Not and Clark, uh, started there as a consultant on the private sector finance team. Uh, I did that for a couple of years, went quite well, uh, got promoted to manager. And part of the promotion was I was asked to set up the public sector division at Baden-Not and Clark. This was back in, I'm sure my age a little bit now, but back in 1994, when really there wasn't much uh, temporary market within the public sector. It was just starting and opening up. And uh, I sort of happened to be the right place, right time, made me look very good because the market took off. This is in days before PSLs, before MVs. It was, you know, you really could ring up a client and, and get a job on, uh, uh, as radical as that sounds. Presumably you knew nothing about the public sector. No, absolutely nothing. Okay, <laughs> uh, so yes, that was an education in itself. Um, I'm not sure sometimes they knew much about it either. No, I'm joking. But um, no, it was a very much it was you know because they had never used temporary staff really before in general. It, it had all been sort of adverts and had to be, uh, sorry uh, permanent jobs and had to, had to be advertised. So using agencies for the public sector was quite a new thing at the time as well. So I think everyone was finding their feet, uh, and we just happened by, by luck really just got in there early. Um, 
and it did really take off and as i say it made it it did make me look quite good but um it, 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 we grew from one team to i think we had about six teams quite quickly anyway so i did that um and then I was asked to, on the back of that, set up the CNI, um, so the private sector fine um, IT division within Baden and Clark. So I did that, did that for a couple of years. Then the company got sold. So I was there for about eight years. The company got sold to an American company. The two founders left, um, and I stayed on for a while. But actually, the culture was very different after that. Um, and at the time, I was starting to probably not enjoy it as much as I had the previous eight years, which I'd loved. I got a call from the um, previous owner saying, look, we're, in, we're, we're setting up a new company. Would you come and join us? Uh, and that was Ven Group. So, um, and can, I, can I just, because I, I know I, I know a few people from uh, ex-Badenock and Clark and who are really right. What, what was, what did that, in what way did that kind of shape you? What was the sort of Baden and Clark philosophy that you took on with you to the, the Ven Group? I suppose one of the strongest ethos was team. It was it was commission based. Uh, sorry, team based commission. Everything was team. Team and training were the two things really. Uh, and we just happened to. There was a bunch of people. Uh, I think I was mentioning before the podcast that I'm. You know, I met some of them last night. I'm still very good friends with them. Lots of um, husbands and wives have come out of these relationships. And uh, it was almost like being at school. It was a crowd of about 30 40 of us all got on fantastically well and i think it was it was a it was a collective it was a team we were you know we, we worked hard we played hard with each other and so there was a, just a common goal between us to um to get the job done and that's an ethos we did try to take through to, to Ven group as well actually and did that come from the the business leaders or was that is that a cultural thing or that doesn't just happen does it no, no, it was very much from the business leader. It was very much from, from Deirdre Moynihan, who was the um, MD at the time. Uh, she was very much into, I think she was the one that was responsible for changing it from individual commission to team commission. That that um, was, is a big step change because all of a sudden, you know, if you're thinking of uh, temporary recruitment and you've got um, 10 jobs on and you're out at a client visit and, and those jobs come on, if you're not there in, in individual commission, who's going to fill those roles for you? Who's really going to want to fill those roles? Whereas if you're in a team, it doesn't matter who is where. If somebody's out getting new business on or somebody's on the phone filling jobs from, from one organization, these jobs come in. They will get serviced equally as well because it, it's that whole team that's got um, an interest in making sure that those jobs get filled. Okay. Um, and lots of lots of companies will say they do work in teams, but it really was genuine team. And because it was team commission, it, that sort of cemented the whole thing as well. That was pretty unusual at the time, I would guess. Yeah, very much so. Yes, yes. All right. and, so, it's not without its complications as well, because yeah. uh, you know sometimes uh, the, the big billers or people that see perceive themselves as big billers sometimes want to move beyond that. So you, you do have to look at adapting that once um, once people start billing a bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we've had a member actually who's very successfully transitioned to Team Bonus last year, I think. And, yeah. uh, and, and they they are happy to accept that big billers who are hungry for big personal earnings are not going not going to join them. That's right. Yeah, they're fine with that. Um, so the 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 Ven Group. What was the what was your brief when you joined them? Uh, so we started on uh, one morning in I think it was October 2000. We had uh, serviced officers and we'd recruited, uh, I think, five people. So myself plus four. And those five people were in the serviced office uh, one Monday morning. Uh, we had nothing. We had a desk because uh, the serviced office didn't have a computer. There was a desk and a telephone, I think. So the first thing we did was went down to Ryman's and bought some pens and some 
eight you know, pads to stick up on the wall. And that week, we literally spent the week uh, putting sticky paper up on the wall, writing all the clients that we knew that we thought we could do business with because they, were, they weren't people we knew. And it was a eclectic bunch of people. Uh, from different sectors so we just really had a, a week or so of strategizing who could we call what would we do obviously the next thing we needed to do was um, get a way of tracking that all in initially it was all on paper long story short I suppose or you know, three months later we had 30 people uh, we had a computer right. system and we had an accounts package so we moved pretty quick on that uh, and then I think it was about three months later as well. We moved into a out of the service office into a, um, a rented office. And how was that? So, th- how was that uh, um, growth funded in three months to get thirty people? Uh, that we had a lot of funding through okay. the original owners of yeah. um, Bednock Club, uh, okay. and yeah. Alexander Bednock. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, yeah, and you, could, you we were lucky. You couldn't do it without you know to go that sort of expansion that quickly. You've got to have um, yeah. big money behind you. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. All right. And um, what happened next? So uh, from there, we well, really, that's how we started. So we hit these 30 people and we, we started looking at, OK, what sectors do we want to do? So we were mainly public sector. Uh, there were certain restrictions, actually, on what we couldn't couldn't do for a couple of years. But uh, in the end, we ended up mainly doing public sector. And, um, you know, public sector is massive. So you've got to pick which bits you want to do so we just set it up by business units by teams doing different parts of different um different parts of the public sector very focused so each team would be specifically focused on that little bit whether that be i don't know revenues and benefit benefits within local government or legal within the you know it, it was very precise on, and concise uh, and focused um and it just kept uh, organically growing from there really you know as we we sort of had a uh, a number in mind where once a team got to a certain number, we think, okay, that's probably enough people and it's making a, a decent amount of billing. Uh, you, you hit a bit of a limit where you need to then recruit more people and set up another team to 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 double up really rather than doubling up within that one team you, you set it up yeah. again and you double up and with that that that, that um, creates its own opportunities for people within the company as well how did it I'm, I'm sort of imagining you with a big whiteboard um public sector is not it's not a place that I've, I've done a lot of work in but i'm just yeah. imagining all the different areas and niches and specialism you could focus on and so how did you pick and choose the ones I suppose the ones that we felt that would give us the quickest return uh, initially, uh, and then you get around to doing everything over the long term, or not. If you, if it's not worth doing, then then don't bother. Um, one of the biggest mistakes you can make is, is with the public sector because it's so huge is try and cover the whole thing in one go. And so the example I would give is if you take a consultant, if you say right, your patch is I don't know a county. And they can do all the public sector in that county. So that could be NHS, it could be local government, it could be central government, it could be charities, it could be education, all those things. You can't possibly do that. They, they, they have to, um, you have to assign them a small bit. So what we would do is say, okay, let's take the example. You're, you're only going to get local government and you're only going to get a much smaller geographical area. Uh, and much better to do it thoroughly uh, and call the client in the days when you could call the client anyway, call the client um three times a month rather than having a much wider patch and calling uh, each client once every three months or something Uh, you've got to be a bit of a pest as we all know in recruitment to start with because um, a client isn't going to just suddenly say oh yes here's my job and and, um, please fill it for me you've got to give them a reason so you have to build up the relationship with with the client and uh, you're not going to do that if you're skimming over lots and lots you need to keep it quite focused so fast forward to um to 20 uh 2021 
Yeah, so 2021. Um, yeah. What, what, where did you take the Venn group? Where was uh, it? So we went from those initial five people to, I think at one point we had about 400 employees um, uh, and a multi-million pound turnover company. I can't remember the exact numbers now, but I think it was 150, 175 million, something like that. So big organization uh, and very much a market leader within the public sector. Yes. Uh, Okay, so so scaling something that fascinates me. A lot of our members are really, really interested in scaling effectively, and I've, I've done a fair bit myself. What, what 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 lessons did you kind of learn if you if you looking back on that journey? Uh, so, sorry, got say it again. Sorry. Scaling effectively. What are you gonna, what are you got to get right? So I think you've got to not be afraid of making mistakes. Uh, you have to accept that there's going to be a fair bit of attrition uh, in those early. You know, because if you recruit thirty people, uh, you it's impossible to keep all 30 you know it, 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 there is a bit of a numbers game going on um the two well one of the main things is is we very early on got a, a training person um so you need to train people to do the role as quick as possible um and then you need to empower them I, mean, I think it's two things one you've got to entrain them but then you've not got to let them go you can't keep holding their hands and i'm a very firm believer anyone knows me well of delegating <laughs> uh so but you've got to you know, arm the people properly get them trained up um and then delegate them and let them go off and do it um i think um so it it you know, without that training, without that focus on training, uh, then you've got appraisal. So there's no point in saying, right, go off and do it without then coming back and having a look at, well, what worked. So we were quite hot on uh, doing appraisals, whether that be monthly, uh, probably team weekly meetings, uh, just making sure that there was good communication so that the direction that we had chosen to go in or the markets we'd chosen to go after, that we all knew what we were doing, why we were doing and how we were going to do it. But there's no point in saying that and then right off you go. You then need to make sure that you're monitoring that. And as I say, on a weekly, monthly basis, we would sit down with either individuals or teams, um, both at consultant level and management level, uh, and make sure that we were on track of where we wanted to go. So it could sometimes appear a bit meeting heavy, and maybe sometimes it was, but uh, they probably had more benefit um, than, than downside. But again, it's, um, it, it's a good old, the basics done brilliantly. Let's train people properly. Let's create yeah. Uh, performance framework let's make sure yeah. communication is as good as it needs to be yeah 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 and it's sort of it, looking back on it you know, obviously it went from five to four hundred that sounds amazing and it was amazing it was great fun but uh it didn't happen overnight that's the thing so you know you you, you get there gradually and um, before you know you look back and you think oh wow we're actually quite big now um at the time you're just focused on building um you're not really thinking necessarily about how big it's getting or how big you want it to be uh you're 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 adapting to the market conditions at the time and if it's busy you're going to keep adding consultants in yeah let's get on to the fun stuff the things we got wrong what were the uh looking back at the things things or times where you actually think actually something we can learn from that yeah i was thinking about this um i think one of the big things that we learned and probably did do uh, could have done better is again when you're growing a company that that quickly you do need management you know, i couldn't have 400 people reporting into me and and uh, so you need a structure of management and i think sometimes we let had too many managers and i mean no disrespect to the people involved but it was our fault in letting it happen but too many managers that would become a manager and stop billing uh, and so then you end up with an awful lot of quite expensive, high level people that are very good at management and they're very good at job and they were very good billers generally, suddenly mm -hmm. not billing. So if I was to do it again, I would make sure that anyone that got promoted keeps clients 
and keeps billing. I know lots of companies do manage to do that. Yeah, and, and of course, that's hard because you're you're expected to manage the staff as well as billing. You mm. don't maybe have to be at the same level. I also think from a from an enjoyment point of view. I know once I, you know, as MD, it was it, I couldn't really in temporary market have clients because I wasn't available to service them all the time. You can do that a little bit more mm. in permanent recruitment, actually. Mm. Um, but I really missed the whole, you know, making closing the deal and speaking to the clients and, and making that difference. So you have for me, it was seeing other people training people up and seeing them do it. Mm. Uh, I think as a manager of four or five people, you should and you can um still be able to build so i think that was probably one of the main things that if i was doing it again i would make mm -hmm. sure that we didn't fall into that trap of them not billing that's a hell of a transition from just imagining the five of you when you started out uh sticking your post-its all over or whatever you did yeah and then you take it up to the 400 which was the which was the most kind of enjoyable phase for you was it the craziness of the of the first few months or was it, it the actually no we've really built something <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, it's a bit like when you when somebody asks you uh, which was the best age of your child. They're all good at the time, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I suppose the most exciting part was, yeah, on that day one and recruiting everyone. Yes, of course. And that, yeah, it didn't come without its frustrations. We didn't mm. get immediate success. And, and um, you know, one of the things you have to really look at when you're setting up any company and in any sector is that if a sector is not going as planned, don't flog it you know don't keep flogging the dead horse M move on to something else try and see where the market's going mm. don't be afraid to say okay right you you four people or you four teams or you whole business unit um let's take you out of that sector and let's go for this sector because we think that this one isn't as good as we thought and so you have to be a bit brave sometimes uh, and obviously you're they're not going to be a market leader straight away in those sectors mm. you've got to build it up but yeah don't don't ever be afraid to change your strategy if, if what you're doing yeah. at the time or you know if a market was very buoyant and very successful um and this can happen in, in all markets but in particular public sector with, with changes of government and changes of strategy within the government that a certain sector that was doing very well or something that that came out of a, a government initiative mm. uh, that might disappear over time. So, you know, you just need to be aware of that, that it's starting to dry up a little bit and right. What's the next thing or where, where's the next initiative coming from yeah. in the government and, and make sure you're uh, flexible and adaptable. I would say. The um, It's really interesting. Every, every time I speak to somebody like you, who've had a, let's call it significant uh, career in, in recruitment, the, the reflection of, move away from stuff that or people it's not working quicker quickly and then every one of us has held on to people or strategies a little bit longer than we should do and it just it's very consistent but the other thing you were saying it was it was we were doing some work with members looking at the um fastest growing hundred recruitment businesses in the uk and what was enabling them to grow so quick and two of the things that you've just touched on is their speed of adapting to different market conditions and and also making sure they're focused on the candidate scarce high growth markets and yeah. being in the right place yeah i think you know the other thing I, I, you can't hide from the fact we had uh investors with deep pockets uh so clearly that helps and of course you can go to a bank and you can get your invoice dis discounting and, and all that stuff but it does help if you've got investors that are um and they put in a sizable amount of money to get the thing up and running so if you can, particularly in uh, temporary recruitment, not quite so, so critical in in permanent recruitment. But if you know, if you've got a uh, suddenly got a hundred temps out that you didn't have the day before, you need some way of funding that to be able to pay them, and, and yeah, um, so that can be tricky for new staff. Were, were there any acquisitions on that journey? No, 
Uh, and then and we um, started in London uh, and then uh, we expanded throughout the UK. So we pretty much covered the whole of England. Yeah. Uh, we also had an office in Ireland for a while. Um, was that a specific strategy? Let's grow it ourselves as opposed to look for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And actually, you know, talking about, uh, I was going to mention this at the end of the podcast, but I'm going to bring it up now because it's sort of relevant to what we're talking about. But I would say uh, we and lots of other the companies, all, all the companies I've worked for were often quite inward looking um, and very skeptical of other agencies and not wanting to share information mm. and thinking that our way was the best way. And it was for us, obviously, but but it wasn't the only way is the point. Um, and having left uh you know I've, I've been on a gardening leave for the last 12 months and i've had been to a few meetings with you and, and your your trn guys and suddenly realized that actually there's a whole world of people doing quite similar but little subtly different but there's no trade secrets to, to the whole thing and, and i think um the more you can share information and so again if i was doing you know if i was to do it again i would definitely yeah, we were a member of APSCO, but we didn't probably use them as much as we did. If I'm perfectly honest, I'd never even really heard or taken any notice of TRN. And and now, obviously, I've spoken to you several times, been to some of your lunches and speaking to some of your clients, that there is a whole myriad of information out there that uh, people should be utilizing. So actually, yeah. well done you for yeah. getting that set up. So. No, thank you. Just just from a, le a leadership point of view, and I guess uh, having been on gardening leave for, for a little while now, you've had a chance to reflect on things. Your, the, your kind of leadership le lessons that you might share um, over the years, because uh, like the rest of us, you'll have, you'll have uh, evolved. Yeah. So, again, I mean, I'm talking about training um, earlier on, training consultants. You, you, training shouldn't stop once you've, you become a, a good consultant. So it's really important. If you want to have a good manager and you want to be able to not be doing all the management yourself, then you've got to train those people how to do that. Mm. Um so yes, training should never stop. If you, know, you you get to the early stages of how to pick up a phone and make a phone call and that sort of stuff, to how to manage a bigger book, to then how to 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 train people and and manage people. And management, you know, a lot of it is about being somebody's life coach. It's not just about you know uh, cracking the whip and say right, do this, do that. Actually, you've got to be their friend. You've got to be their parent. You've got to be all those things. Um, you've got to be a good listen listener. Uh, but ultimately, you also need to be somebody that's um, giving direction and leading by example. I talk about that billing thing, but leading by example. And mm. I'm also a very firm believer, don't ask somebody to do what you're not comfortable doing yourself. I mean, I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, and just treat people decently. I mean, treat them as human beings, not not somebody that you're... Sometimes, you know, you recruit consultants okay, and think, right, this is my team and this is how I'm going to make my money. Actually, they're all individuals wanting to have a career. Just remember that it is a career that they're trying to forge and you're trying to help them. And that's the satisfaction is absolutely seeing them go from being that grant that that uh, I mean, we've got some people actually still at Venn Group that were there in those very early weeks. Um, and so, you know, that's a hell of a career over the 23 years. And, and they're now directors in that company. And, and, and it's lovely to see. Yeah, uh, I probably didn't directly answer your question though, which was how, uh, how, what do you mean by how do we empower them or how do we? No, I was, I, again, in, in, interested in some of the, in, in, as we're setting out on our journey and we're getting our, our, our management leadership responsibilities and the leader you were in your, your, your late 20s, your 30s to the, you know, the leader you, you, are, you are today. Yeah. I've, I've always been quite a good listener. I think that's yeah. really important. I know I'm doing a lot of the talking here today, but um, yeah. that's the, the, the nature of the podcast. But but generally, I prefer to listen to what people have got to say. Um, 
because unless you know what people want and what their concerns are, mm. you know, in, in a sales point of view, again, there's lots of things about selling, but ultimately you have to listen to what it is the client wants before you can start selling. And it's exactly the same with um, training and leading people. And and, and I think um, it's very important that you have a clear strategy of what you and the company want, but making sure that that is very well communicated all the way through the company because there's no point in the management having one direction that they want to go in and not telling the rest of the company how they want to go in um so i think you know that whole communication uh sharing of ideas is very good but then i come back to what i was saying earlier on some of those ideas they need to probably be a bit more external rather than just internal to mm. to um, get a better flavor of it Okay, um, I'm, I'm interested in your view of, of, of the market and uh, how best to navigate through that. But there's one, um, you've just been responsible for the uh, overhaul of the tech strategy. Uh, yeah. And I'm just interested because it's a, um, particularly for our members, it's one of the things that they find phenomenally taxing. There's, there's so many different op, op, uh, options and, and strategies. There's so many new widgets coming along left, right and centre. And yeah. uh, they see successes and they see people raving about different things. Uh, but I'm just interested you the overhaul briefly what did it involve and, and what are the kind of lessons you learned from saying right let's get this right sure uh, first thing I'll say is take it don't take it lightly it's a massive project so to that end actually what we decided to do is I, I sort of stepped aside from being MD to become COO for the last two years and it was two years so you know it's not a, a quick process um so I think you have to, the more time you spend at the beginning working out what it is, what you want, why you need it, uh, is so important because and and to that end we actually got a consultant in. I think it's absolutely vital, and I'm glad we did it. I wasn't sure at the time because it's quite it was quite expensive, but we recruited somebody that had done it before on a project management basis. Um, because if I'd been trying to do that all myself, we would have, it would have taken much longer. We, so that person was able to um, tell us where the problems had arisen before. You never want to be referring back to the contract either. So make sure that you've got all the, um, all the contracts sorted out as much as you possibly can. You can't cover everything. Um, and then the other thing, I suppose what we did, and I wouldn't do this next time, is we tried to go big bang. So we were changing the CRM, we were changing the accounts package, we were changing payroll system, uh, we were adding, bolting some new stuff on. And that was me, actually. I, I, I'm a bit like that. I'm thinking, okay, if we're going to get a new toy, let's, let's get it perfect. Uh, and the guy, the, the project manager, has said, are you sure you want to do it this way? Shouldn't we be just maybe put this bit in first? And then, But in hindsight, he was absolutely right. Um, so... Uh, we did get there, uh, but it was it was tough. It was really mm. tough. And uh, I would say to anyone thinking about doing it, do try if you can afford it um, and you can find somebody that has done it, uh, take them on board and have them hold your hand, even if it doesn't necessarily need to be a project manager, but it needs somebody that you can call on once or twice a week um, just to say, well, what about this? What about that? Because... Mm. It, I mean, these these projects are, are huge, and we went from uh, a massive database to a quite old legacy system to a new uh, cloud-based system. Um, but and then we were bolting on lots of because um, what we wanted also our information. I think you know 
putting the CRM in, put a new CRM in is really only part of it. So that holds the data. There's no point in having all this data and collecting all this data and adding new content CVs and, and clients in there all the time, unless you're going to do something with that data. Mm. Um, and we've all had these databases that just go bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we feel great because we've got such a big database. And then you look back, how many of the people have you actually placed in, mm. that, in that database? If you've done 1%, you've done well. So why bother having such a big thing in the first place? So yeah, we we uh, added a few other things on in terms of a, a parsing system uh, and a system of monitoring uh, consultants' appraisals, actually, but more on an electronic basis. Uh, and so they were able to self-serve. Um, and yeah, there's some clever stuff out there. And obviously, it's changing all the time now with AI and, and whatever. But um, yeah, so expect it to take. Yeah. Hmm? Uh, expect it to take longer, but make sure you've got the right expertise. Yeah, expect to take take longer and take twice as long as you thought, and probably cost twice as much as you thought, and and, and maybe not cost twice. But I don't mean in terms of the systems. Yeah. The other thing I would say, actually, right at the beginning, negotiate that they'll all help me, the, the IT companies for this, but negotiate really hard with the companies at the beginning because you can get some really good deals if you don't just. Uh, they will they will think that um they've got the upper hand and mm. they haven't at all because there's lots of systems you can choose out there uh, and they're all open to negotiation in, in various routes whether it's um price or number of seats or all that sort of yeah. stuff so yeah. again having somebody that's um had experience of that negotiation can be pretty useful yeah fantastic i think i think the biggest thing i see is maybe too much uh responding to seeing things hearing things as, as opposed to going big big picture and saying, yeah what are we trying to get to now yeah and and um actually the other thing i would say is don't be too perfectionist about it uh that you've got the perfect system on go live date because there is never any perfect system you know it might be perfect on the day you put it in if you're lucky but it's going to evolve that system a particular cloud-based system is not going to be the same system that you put in today in 12 months time will be a different system because they're developing their system all the time as well yeah. so get something that you're comfortable with that does the job um because again what, what we probably try to do is have it all completely automated and complete overhaul mm. and actually we should have just put something in that was way better than what we already had and then develop it once it's live but it has to also mm. be able to do the job yeah. but don't underestimate it if you particularly if you're a temp business and you're changing your crm and your accounts package at the same time or your payroll system it's a big old job yeah okay let's move on to the market philip uh yeah in a top year for a lot of people and, yeah you know some seasoned recruiters have said saying it's the toughest toughest year in recruitment i've had um yeah. what's your what's your your sort of take and how how, how did you navigate and what, what what sort of what would you share about navigating through markets like this so yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was at a function last night, and there were three. I spoke to three different people from all from three different sectors, three different companies. All three of them were saying really tough year. And I yeah, I've been sitting and painting my windows actually, not painting that picture as you thought the other day. But um, and uh, so I'm slightly out of the day to day. Well, the what's happening today in terms of the market, and I suppose that in a way sort of answers the question that. Markets come and go, don't they? So it's don't panic. Um, and we go back to what I was talking about earlier on, that if something has slowed down, if you can see there's an opportunity to move across to something else, then that's what you've got to do. And particularly as I go back to public sector, which um, isn't all we did, by the way, by a long way. I don't want Ben to be associated with just public sector. It, it, they did lots of other stuff as well. But public sector, they were definitely a market leader in that. But there are so much... Um, 
you know, let's say, I don't know, if you look at it, you've got central government, you've got local government, you've got NHS, you've got charities, you've got third sector, you've got education. They can't, they're not all going to go uh, slow at the same time. So um, it is just a case of thinking, okay, is this just a, a slowdown in the market? Um, I mean, I, what I don't like to do is is lose consultants just because the market has, has um, mm. gone quiet. You need to find a way of keeping them motivated, keeping them um, earning money. Um, so that that usually involves looking at the different market. Now, it could be coming out of the public sector completely, actually. And that is actually another advantage of a team-based uh, environment is that we always try to have consultants and management, actually, as adaptable as possible. So if I wanted to move a consultant from doing, I don't know, let's say states and facilities um, in NHS to mm. technology in central government, we were able to do that pretty quickly because the same it's the same core skills really that people are, are using um whereas sometimes and, and because they weren't because they were team-based they didn't necessarily own inverted commas the clients mm -hmm. so uh there isn't the same i i need to hold on to this because this is my livelihood actually we can move them over there mm -hmm. uh, and actually that invigorates the people because they consultants don't want to be stuck in a market that's not going very well do they yeah um but also you know it's just been a weird old year hasn't it in, in, in well it's been a weird few years really but but um i think you just have to be brave stick to your principles if you think it's right and you think it's going to come back you've just got to stick hold stick in there and then maybe cut some costs elsewhere if you need to if you have to um but don't jump out of a market too quickly because it's a lot harder to get in back into once you've once you've left it um no it's true um right final um final question just uh i'm always interested to see what's inspiring different people uh what's inspiring you at the moment What's inspiring me? Well, so I have, as you know, I've worked in Bednock Clark for eight years and, and Venn Group for 23 years. So what's that? 31 years in total. Pretty much, it's two companies, but same, very same structure, same ethos. Uh, and I find myself, um, there was an MBO at, at Ben Group, and I, I've decided to not be part of that, that, that MBO. Not because, it, mainly because I just fancied a change. I, I thought, okay, with that experience, you know, I could carry on doing that for maybe another five, 10 years. But actually, you get to a point after 23 years in a company, it's probably too long. Uh, so I'm really what motiv what's motivating me now, this sort of thing, having these sort of chats, I've never done this before. Um, and I really enjoy this. I'm really enjoying, you know, through your through your network and, and some others, uh, speaking to companies that are in a stage where we were at maybe 15, 20 years ago, wanting to know, how to get to the next stage um and it's not the same for every single company but i think i've got enough experience to be able to go into those companies and there's no there's no magic bullet here but you go in and, and just have a look at what they're doing and just little tweaks here and there every now and again and i'm really enjoying that i think it's fascinating to see what everyone else has done and i wish i'd done it years ago actually not not left ben group but i think we could have probably spoken to more companies and maybe I mean, you could even do some NED stuff, non-exec stuff, while you're still working at your own company, couldn't you? And, and um, I think probably more people should do that because yeah. A, you're sharing your information. And at the end of the day, it's not probably information unless you're giving actual you know, percentages and specific market detail away. There is loads of scope for helping each other and that can be mutually beneficial. So I'm really excited about that and hopefully taking... Some of these new startups, whether it's been a brand new startup, maybe some, you know, I've got a couple of 
people that I know would be interested in investing in a new person wanting to start up with me sort of holding their hands and leading their way through it or a company that's maybe moving around two three five seven years whatever the number is um that wants to go to the next level and i think that is um what's making me get excited about the market now yeah no very exciting and i was going to ask you if you can't answer it now you, you come to the end of your gardening leave um i've seen it time and time again where somebody with your wealth of experience goes uh goes out there whether it's chair NED consultant whatever you'll be snapped really quick what, what are your what are your dream kind of clients that you'd, you'd love to be working with uh dream clients are well I suppose it's kind of as you, it's what I've just been saying there really is that uh you know where there's um and it, it doesn't I don't I don't want to be just public sector because there's there's way more to it than that uh it doesn't have to be recruitment although that is what I know I suppose mm. um but I, yeah I'm just really interested in those companies that are I'm seeing one uh, in a couple of weeks' time where they've got funding, but they don't know really what to do with that funding and how to, you know, they want to waste it. So uh, that's as exciting, really, as doing it for my own company is going in and, and sharing the ideas and, yeah, yeah. and hopefully showing them out of it. Because the reward at, at, at director level isn't doing the recruitment yourself. It's it's watching up, teaching other people how to do it, whether it's your own company or somebody else's company. So there's a couple of organizations that I'm um, looking at working with, uh, and I'm really quite excited about seeing where I can take them and watching that um, progress um, okay. develop. Love it. Philip, thank you so much for joining us. Um, no very excited to see some of the people you're going to end up working with. Um, and we'll certainly be uh, talking some more and keeping you involved in TRN. Um, but thank you. Very, very exciting and uh, exciting next chapter. So thanks. Yes, indeed. And, and thank you very much for inviting me on this. And actually, thank you for me. You, you've been passing me some some leads of um, organisations that might want my help and very much appreciate it. And thank you very much for that. Pleasure. Brilliant. We'll speak right. soon. Bye. Don't forget to follow the TRM podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for a new exciting episode every week.